Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me via Zoom from his home in Utah, is my friend Patrick Risk. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So good to be with you again, Richard. Patrick was on episode 297 back in August of 2020. That helps to remind us how fast we're recording episodes. We're in the 600s three years later, and that's a credit to the brave people that step forward and share their stories. And um, I became, a, you know, I've known Patrick, obviously, for a while, obviously, since he's been on the podcast. Count him as a friend. He's doing great work in our community and beyond. But then one day I saw that he had published a new book. And I, I get so many requests to be on the podcast that sometimes it's hard for me to and manage all those requests. It's a good thing. But sometimes I feel impressed to invite somebody on the podcast and work them into the schedule. And that's what I felt impressed to do with Patrick because I thought... Um, listeners should be aware of his book. And um, the name of the book is One Day at a Time, um, Daily Hope for Those Navigating Their Own Path of Healing. And part of Patrick's story he's going to share is being a survivor of, of sexual abuse as a child. And that's a brutal road. And he talked about that on his prior podcast. And one of the things that Patrick said to me, and I put it in my first book, um, and I still get emotional as I think about this. He said, as he was navigating his um, sexual abuse, he said, "What?" He sort of went from "what if" to "what now," and this this gift that Patrick has, and I don't know how he got in this space to sort of accept the reality of his situation and just say "what now" and look forward. And I think that's part of Patrick's ministry and our faith and beyond. And and I haven't read Patrick's book, but maybe that's part of Patrick's book. So um, if I, our joint prayers that this podcast and Patrick's book will help you if you've navigated really difficult things that aren't your fault, um, sort of the woundingness that comes into mortality that has nothing to do with sin or nothing to do with agency of at least the victim, <laughs> um, and trying to navigate that to find healing. Is that okay for an introduction, Patrick? No, that was perfect. Thank you so much. And um, Patrick's in his early 30s. Um, this is a self-published book, and um, there may be some potential authors listening, because um, I get a lot of messages on how to publish a book, and sometimes I'll send them to the publishers. But another route is the route Patrick took is to self-publish this, which took about, once his writing was done, about four months. So at some point in the podcast, those of you that are interested in that road, um, Patrick, can, this is his first book he's published, so he had to navigate this from scratch, and lo and behold, it's at Amazon and getting um, lots of reviews, so great job getting it published, but he's self-published. Um, but I'd love you to just, maybe you could read the book description or whoever you want to start, Patrick. Yeah, no, I've, I really appreciate it. It's been, I always wanted to to um, to do a book. Um, um, I started doing one that was more almost like a personal memoir, if you will, kind of, again, from my experience of, of abuse. Um, and I was working on, on that book. It was taking a long time. Um, I just, it's, it's, it's hard to, to write like more of a, a narrative type book. Um, and so, but, um, I, um, and, and as you know, Richard, I, I, I post quite frequently on Facebook and various groups I, I help manage. And, and, and so I've done a lot of 
writings over the years. And so I had this, um, um, I, I just would like would track them. I compile them in, um, in a word document and it was like reaching like 300 pages, this word document. And so, you know, I was like, well, rather than, you know, it, it's hard to write this kind of narrative type book. And so I have all these great writings that, you know, some people have said it have helped them, inspired them. And so I was like, what happens if I just take that um, and use that as a basis of a book? And so that's really what um, precipitated this book. And I decided to do it in a format that was a motto that I've had in my life ever since my world kind of came crashing down around me, um, you know, and I was about 16 year old um, and was kind of confronting the sexual abuse in my childhood. Um, and it's kind of been just this guiding motto that's really helped me in moving forward is one day at a time, you know, and sometimes that one day at a time can be one second at a time, you know, on a really bad day. Um, but if you just take it one day at a time, just you can get by. Um, and so so that's kind of um, what I titled it. And then I took all my writings and I kind of broke them down into one day at a time. And so it's kind of a book you can either read and, you know, one setting from beginning to end if you want to, or it's, you know, it's 365 days of basically quotes um, and things. And I broke each um, chapter is basically a month of the year. So 12 chapters. Um, and each month I gave like a theme, um, you know, and I tried to like do the theme around like the, like, you know, February Valentine's day. So it was about, you know, finding love and your journey and, and that type of thing. And so each, you know, March with St. Patrick's day, it's about luck. Um, and so, um, and then I just compiled all the different quotes I've written over the years and posted and shared on social media into this book. And, um, and so that's kind of the, the format of the book. Um, so a little bit different, um, format of a book, but, um, but that's kind of the approach I took since I had all these writings already of, uh, and that was the best way I knew how to, um, compile. And so, like you said, it really is my book of not only my experience with, sexual abuse as a child but then you know the things that stem from that you know eating disorder overcoming that um in terms of my sexuality and and coming to terms with that and, and being gay and and so it's really all about my journey from you know victim to victor and kind of learning one day at a time how to survive you know it's kind of taking your daily blank pages um and filling them up with personal thoughts and reflections and insights as you kind of write your experience from mining hope in your heartache, um, faith in your pain and, and understanding in your despair. And, and those really daily thoughts begin to serve as the basis for your road and your story to re recovery and to hope and to healing. Um, and so, yeah. Um. You're very comfortable talking about the realities of your life, Patrick. You just, um, each of those could be a three-hour podcast, just the things you just shared. Um, but you also shared, and I'm aware of some of that story, um, so I don't want to gloss over it. I want to come back. But this line, victim to victor, uh, I've never heard that line until I read the description of your book. Talk more about um, that phrase and what it means to you and what you hope other people are able to find in that phrase. Yeah. I mean, I think what I've discovered in my life, um, and as I've been more open with my story, 
um, it invites others to be open about theirs as well, which becomes this healing circle, if you will. Um, and and I love it when people tr- tr- entrust in me with their stories. And as I've as I've like I said been more open, and then people have trusted me with their stories, is I've realized that everybody has something. Um, you know, I, I don't care who you are, um, how perfect your life might look on the outside on, you know, the scrolling through Facebook, um, everybody has something they've struggled with. They're currently struggling with, or that they will struggle with in the future. Um, and that's where, um, we all have that journey of becoming victors, um, over whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, and, it's an effort that I don't think anybody should have to do alone. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I've become more open with sharing my story and why I really started sharing all these quotes and these life experiences on Facebook and social media. It wasn't any way to gain recognition or kudos or sympathy or anything. It was because I recognized that when I shared my story, when I shared my vulnerability, then what it did is it, again, it acted as an invitation for others to share with me. And and then we kind of created this community together um, because we realized that we're both kind of sitting in the ashes that, um, you know, I'm not so alone um, because you've had something. Um, maybe our stories aren't exactly similar, but we can relate on some level. Um, and so I really like that healing environment that can happen when we um, allow ourselves to be vulnerable and share. Do you want to read more about your book description? You've got a terrific book description on Amazon. You've kind of summarized it. So you could move on or you could go back to the book description, read the whole thing or just a couple things you want listeners to understand. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I, I've, like you said, I've covered on, on quite a bit. I think um, the one thing that um, um, that I think is really important. Um, and it's about, like I said, of when we, and like I was just talking on, it's my belief that really there's a lot of people out there that are, um, that are suffering in some way. Um, and more so than anything, they don't need our judgments. They don't even need our words. Um, they need our ears. Um, you know, that's what you've created, um, with your podcast, um, you know, listening, loving. Um, and so when we create that space for others and when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and share our stories as, as well, then it really allows individuals to find room for healing for themselves. Um, you know, stories that will save ourselves and for them as it illuminates and light those things that have been kept hidden in the dark that we don't need to hide in the dark. Um, we can bring them into the light. And then in that light, we can find community. And in that community, we find hope. And in that hope, we find healing. And so it's really all about sharing. And then sometimes all we really need is for somebody is for us to be able to share our story and have somebody look us in the eyes um, and say, you know, I see you, I hear you, I feel what you're saying. And and now I have a little bit of your story and I'll hold it for you. And so it's not so heavy to carry um, and we'll carry it forward together one day at a time, you know, and I, I think there's nothing more beautiful in the human experience than um, having people connect validate each other's experiences and i'm just grateful that i've been able to share my story for those who have validated my experience um, for those who have shared their stories with me and then 
amidst that kind of daily reflection, um, we've found hope in our our journey together and, and kind of strength to keep moving forward, you know, one day at a time. Um, you mentioned your eating disorder. I think that's the vocabulary used, and I'm I'm assuming that's I call it the bottom of the iceberg stuff. Listeners, is an eating disorder yeah. can be at the top of the iceberg, and sometimes to solve stuff like that, you've got to get to the bottom of the iceberg, and that may take a therapist and sort of connecting the dots. I don't know if that resonates with you, but um, talk about um, your eating disorder, and then and if there is any connection to the sexual abuse that people may be interested in your ability if there is a connecting of the dots um just how that all links together and how you um then work through that no i love how you've explained it it really is that tip of the iceberg type of situations whether it be an eating disorder some type of an addiction anger um can also be an indication of something that um there's something deeper going on um and you know obviously when you're in the thrux of something like that you don't see it um but it's important when you have people around you who do see it um and so i encourage obviously anybody that's got somebody in their life that they're seeing something like that um to it can be challenging because like again when i was 16 kind of at the hit rock bottom um in terms of my eating disorder i was I was going to have to be hospitalized. My internal organs began shutting down. It was at such a low weight. And my parents were in that situation of kind of like, what is going on? Why, why is he doing this? Um, and so, yeah, they kind of took me to a therapist. And, and through that therapy, that's when the years of abuse um, as a child started coming to light. Um, and, and really the eating disorder for me, it was not about body image so much or anything like that it was for me more about control um where i felt completely out of control in my life in terms of the abuse that happened to me the confusing feelings and sexuality all these things that you know i was dealing with um it was swirling around me um what i put into my body in terms of food um the structure i put around food and exercising and all these things it gave me a feeling of control uh, it was something I could control in my life um, where everything else felt a little out of control. And so that's really what the eating disorder was. Um, you know, obviously it took me a while to realize that and work through it and, and that type of thing. But but as you said, usually those type of issues are some type of tip of the iceberg that are covering something. And along those lines and kind of what I was talking about earlier of learning people's um, stories and also giving people grace giving people the room um, because we don't know their stories. And so what I have found is also in my life of those who um, sometimes those that can be the most cruel. <laughs> um, it's that, it's that mantra that hurt people hurt people. Um, and so when people can be very cruel, they can say mean things to you. Usually that's not about you. It's, it's, it's always usually about them. Um, something that's going on in their life, something they feel insecure about that they are then reflecting onto you. Um, and so that's where I just, it's, it's always good to know, um, that those tip of the iceberg things are usually covering something much deeper that usually that person is, is just hiding and not wanting to face yet. And so just give people grace and let them let you, um, just know that they're probably dealing with stuff that you have 
no idea. Wow, that's just so thoughtful. Um, I'm reminded of your great pastoral insights, Patrick, and your ability to heal other people. Um, I'm spending a little bit of time on this, just following impressions, listeners, that maybe some of you need to hear this content, parents or people. So let's say the light bulb went off and you recognized, okay, I got an eating disorder because I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. I assume that doesn't just then solve the eating disorder. (laughs) So once the dots are connected, you can't, I assume there's kind of, okay, that's good. I've, and maybe the therapist connected the dots. You kind of inferred before you did. And then once you fully understood, but talk a little bit about, okay, so now do we solve the eating disorder? Talk about that if you would like to. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. In terms of some of these, like I said, of, and I don't mean to say that in terms of that, their surface level in terms of their, they become very important things all in, in a, of themselves um, in terms of, and so for me, yeah, the eating disorder became, you know, it becomes almost a, a, a double headed dragon, if you will, or, or sometimes even more of where you have, you're kind of happy to battle multiple fronts of Yes. It's you've now seen where the, where the root goes, if you will. Um, and you can um, start working on that. But for me, yeah, the eating disorder became its own whole thing. You know, it was threatening my, you know, very life, you know, my organs were shutting down. So it took a lot to work on that and get to a healthy space in, in that space as well. And so it becomes very overwhelming in, in that because now it's like, it's like, okay, at first I think I thought I was, I was just addressing an eating disorder. And now, oh, now I have all this other stuff I got to address too. Um, and so it becomes overwhelming. But then going back to kind of my my mantra and what I really, that mantra came to fruition, especially when I was working through all this was that one day at a time, um, you know, one issue at a time and just take it. I know by size, you don't have to, you know, boil the ocean. You don't have to uh, figure out everything at once. And so just do what you can, um, know that you're taking it one step, one day at a time. Um, and you know, just focus on what you can do, what you can move the needle on, um, and not try not to let yourself get overwhelmed. And so that's really, um, you know, my journey of healing was a long journey. Um, and for me, I can see now that I look back on it, definitely I can see God's hand in all of it. I remember one time sitting in the car with my mom um, and I remember saying to her something along the lines of, do you think God gave me the eating disorder? And my mom was really taken back back, uh, back by that at first because she was like, you know, what? no, why? Like, why would he do that? And that type of thing. I was like, because ultimately I became very grateful for the eating disorder, um, not only for multiple reasons, but it, it was the thing that brought um, the abuse to light. Um, and so um, sometimes those hard things can be, Come blessings in disguise in some way um that um that yeah it was hard to overcome hard to deal with um but um but it helped me also deal with some other deeper darker things that even had more impact as i i kind of rooted those out as well such a thoughtful way to look at a difficult thing um respect for that um talk about if i can is because i don't know 
much about this subject, um, but maybe our listeners need to hear what you have to say. And I guess every story is different. Um, is your eating disorder like a an, a an acute thing that came and went and then it's over? Is it a chronic thing that can, can come back into your life at times and you kind of have to be a on guard or just aware of sometimes some of the things that can lead to kind of, I don't want to say falling in old ways because that's sort of (laughs) shaming language, but you know what I'm trying to ask. So I'll let you just run with it. (laughs) No, no, I think you're exactly right. Um, For, for me, and I think there can be different. um, I mean, I think all, obviously it's all serious, but there could be on a spectrum, if you will, of, um, and obviously I was pretty serious in terms of with anorexia nervosa. And at the worst, it started getting to bulimia as well, because I was beginning to like do binging and purging, um, because I was just, my body, my body was, you know, really starving. But then once I like would eat then I'd feel like immense guilt and I would, you know, then, um, do, you know, um, purging and 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 that was becoming even worse because it was you know having extreme um um effects on my my heart and my electrolytes got to such a low level at that point that type of thing but um but yeah um so i definitely there's still times where i have to be guarded better so it, it really is a lifelong thing i mean um i don't sometimes have to think about it as much anymore but usually when it flares up some of the signs if you will or the things are wanting to like control or restrict or that type of thing it's because again i'm feeling out of control in some other area of my life um and so i revert back to well i can control you know how much i'm exercising or putting into my body or that type of thing so it becomes almost like an obsessive compulsive um behavior in some ways because I'm just trying to either one, I'm feeling out of control in some other area of my life, or I have something in my life that I'm not wanting to think about or face. And so by hyper-focusing on something else, like, you know, what I'm eating, exercising, that type of thing, it's taking my mind off of something I'm not wanting to think about. Um, and so that's something to be aware of as well. Um, and so it's just really always just trying to be aware of those things that trigger you. Um, and, um, as, as those triggers happen, and then you start seeing the signs of maybe falling, like you said, old patterns, um, then you need to take a step back and say, Oh, why am I doing this? What else is going on in my life that maybe I'm feeling extra stressed or I'm feeling, and I need to, tackle that in a healthy way rather than, you know, an unhealthy way. What's on your mind you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, I think, like I said, the thing that I, I've wanted the most from my book, um, and getting my story out there is, um, as I was speaking to, of, it's really, I just want people to, um, one feel like they're not alone um and that everybody's dealing with something um and that you really can you know overcome whatever it is you're facing that there's people that care there's people that love you especially obviously god um and our savior um they're aware of you more than anybody um and the other thing is i really want people um we live in a very contentious world Um, lots of people have strong opinions um and feelings and um and i'm 
I don't know about anybody else, but I'm exhausted by it. Um, I just think that if we could just love people, if we could just um, um, be, stop being so judgmental and just respect where people are at and just, you know, and just love them where they're at, wherever they're at on their path of healing or, you know, path of discipleship or however you want to title it. Um, there's there's no reason for us to do, to judge. Life is hard enough without adding our judgments to the mix. Um, and why do we have to carry that? Um, there's no reason that we need to act in the place of, you know, the Savior's already fought and won that battle. Let's let him carry that. And let's just do the loving um, because I think it's going to make our life easier. It's going to make the world better. And so I just, I really want people to just um, understand um, that, you know, everybody's dealing with something. Um, and let's just really just love people where they're at because there's just, it's going to make this world and our life so much easier, I think. <laughs> I'm with you. I love President Nelson's most recent conference talk. Oh, I thought, makers. yeah, yeah, and you're smiling as I bring that up. I just thought that was a terrific talk. Keep sharing, Patrick. I think you have more things you'd like that you could share with our listeners to help them. You could talk about the Facebook groups you run and the focus of those groups. You could keep talking about the book. You could just talk about things that you know will help our listeners. Yeah. Um... No, I think um, I run, like I said, a couple of Facebook groups. That's really where a lot of this book has come from is my postings in those groups. So I I started one, I don't know, it's been like six years or something ago now that I started one. It's called Brightness of Hope. Um, and really that was my whole objective with it is just I felt like there's a lot of people out there hurting and, and just kind of suffering alone. And I wanted to create a safe space community where people could just share their stories. Um, and, and then by sharing again, sharing their stories, they're inviting others to share theirs, become vulnerable because, you know, we're all in this together. Um, and, um, so it, it's grown a lot. Um, it grew, you know, it's, it's, I think it's uh, kept 15,000 now. So, I mean, not huge, but it's great seeing so many people from all different countries and just, it's, I, I think it's a great community and I just love the loving feeling that's in it. Um, as I created that community, other moderators of other groups um, kind of started inviting me to to theirs. And I was, obviously, as I shared in other groups. And so now I'm like a moderator of the that large group that kind of created from President Nielsen's um, ask to um, fast during um, the pandemic worldwide unified um so i'm one of the moderators of that group i just recently got asked to be a moderator of an, another one that's got about like a hundred thousand it's called i think it's called latter-day saints worldwide um and so um so yeah i i just have loved um as i've again shared my story um i think people have resonated with my story um i i've had tons of people reach out to me and share theirs as well um in personal messages or commenting as 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 well on some of the things i posted and shared and again i do all of it um just for kind of as a threefold objective um one is just um letting people know that they're not alone um, to letting them know that there's hope, um, and that, um, um, there's 
healing possible and that um, they don't need to walk and carry everything on their own, that they're loved. Um, and then the third is along those lines of love, of just breaking down those silos that we and walls that we build around ourselves and, and that those walls of judgment and um, just um, trying to break those down, just realizing that it doesn't serve us any purpose really um, to to be in that place of acting as a judge for somebody else because ultimately we don't know their story. Um, and once you do come, I have a like a, a pretty hardcore belief that that anybody, if you got to know anybody's story, truly understand where they've walked um, and really understand, um, like I said, their background, their story, you wouldn't be able to resist just loving them <laughs> and like having complete compassion for them and just wanting to give them a big hug. And just because that's really when it comes down to it, we just don't really understand. And so when we don't understand, we obviously cr start creating assumptions and start filling in the gaps ourselves, or we start um, reflecting our own insecurities. And that's where all these judgments and things come from, really. But if you just like listened, if you really like tried to understand their story, where they're coming from, you would see, oh, we're not that different after all. And all these walls and things you were building up would start just crumbling down. And you would realize as you're sitting in the ruins of all this city of judgments you built around, you would be like, you would just see a person standing in front of you. That is just somebody you want to love um, and just put your arms around and say, it's going to be okay because you would feel just so much compassion for them. And I just, think that's true of anybody i mean i can fall into that pattern sometimes too of you just you know there's some people that maybe rub you the wrong way or whatever the case may be that you just go into a situation that you're like ah, i don't really like this person that much but then you just try to step back and realize they're a child of god i need to understand you listen to them you get to know their story and then all of a sudden before you know it you're like I love this person. This person's amazing. This person. And, and so we just need a lot more of that in this world. I think. Listeners, I wrote down some of the words that Patrick said, hope, healing, not alone, bringing down silos, no judgment. And my wife and I were in Israel um, a couple months ago now and just reflected on the life of Christ and his ministry. And obviously there's parts of that ministry that um, the resurrection the atonement, which are really key to our doctrine. But then this other ministry of how he treated people that sort of is layered in that. And um, we know those parables, but I just thought of Christ's ministry in that space. Um, as you talked about those words, Christ did just that, Patrick. You're not inventing new stuff. You're just um, talking about what Christ did. And um I had an institute teacher, listeners, that Michael Wilcox, when we went to Israel the first time in 2008, he said, faith, if you went to people back in Christ's day, would be a statement of how he treated people versus a statement of doctrine. He made the point that as the Christian creeds broke up and our own articles of faith, our own church was restored in the context of other Christian faiths, we needed to have a statement of doctrine and how it was different. So articles of faith as a statement of belief. But he, he didn't know this for sure, but Christ was so radical the way he treated each other. If we all 
were talking and lived in Christ's day, we would be talking about faith as a statement of how we treat other people versus a statement of doctrine. And I've, that has been in my brain since 2008 when he introduced that thought. He didn't sell out any part of Christ's mission to make it look that way. Um, we do have an article of faith. I think it's 13. I should know this, Patrick. Um, <laughs> yeah. That is talks about how to treat others. But um, I just think so much of how um, we help our heavenly parents accomplish their earthly mission is lifting the burdens of each other and doing what we can to break down silos, and bring hope and peace. And so much of our baptism covenants, what I call the horizontal um, the bare morn and comfort, which is what Alma talked about first at the Waters of Mormon in Mosiah 18. So um, this is a tangent thought, but um, I've I've thought about the word happy listeners, and you didn't mention that word. And I've read, seen book titles, and I've heard talks and um sort of be happy and here's the formula be happy but i'm not sure that's realistic for every latter-day saint given the reality of their lives it may be not possible for them from a chemical standpoint in their body from the realities the complexities of their life right now that may be something that they can feel later on and so i've been a little uncomfortable just say be happier this is the path to happiness i have never felt uncomfortable saying this is the path to peace I've always felt having peace um, and finding healing and content is in our control. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, Patrick. Um, no. Just no. Yeah, I think that's super powerful. Of And I think, um, like you said, of happy can be, in some ways, it's almost, I mean, it, it, it's funny to to term it this way, but in some ways, happy can be a loaded word um, in terms of, of because because just like you said, if we've turned it into so much of, and I think a lot of people will push back against that, especially people who are struggling or, you know, um, those who have clinical depression or that type of thing of, you know, it's, it's very easy to say, I'll just be happy or, you know, uh, um, but it's like, well, that's easy to say, but what does that actually mean? You know? Um, and so, so it's really not, you know, yeah, it's a plan of happiness, but more so as a plan of, like you said, peace. It's a plan of of being um, happy in the sense of happy is um, just, um, I guess it's, it's almost like letting go and just being okay sometimes with just sitting in the ashes, um, even though it's not, it's not, you're not sitting in paradise yet. Um, you're sitting in, you know, ashes, the burnt out remains of what your life feels like you know um but you're you're just sitting there and you're letting it you're letting it happen you're you're um kind of um letting go a little bit um and you know like the quote is you know letting go and letting god and realizing that something bigger is working um and being okay with that just being being okay you know it's that's like um I think one of the quotes that's I've written before and that's in, in my book and I obviously didn't 
poignant or anything, but it's, you know, finding okay and broken, you know, uh, right sandwiched in the middle of broken. The word broken itself is okay. And sometimes that's all we can do is just find okay and broken. Um, and you just got to sit there and just realize one day at a time um, that I'm going to be okay with where I'm at right now. doesn't mean that I have to be happy. doesn't mean that this is where I'm always going to be. Um, but I'm, I'm here and I'm experiencing it and I'm feeling it and I'm letting these emotions work and um, I'm recognizing them and I put them in their proper context and place. And some of them I need to put behind me. Some of them I need to work through, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of finding that okay in where you're at. Um, that was a great segment. I love the word okay, um, where you found that in the middle of broken. That's really thoughtful. And um, listeners, if your goal is to be happy, I don't want to say anything in this podcast to take that goal off the plate. Um, I don't think Patrick or I want to do that, but it's the reality that some people may be walking and um, that's okay. I think one of the, you just bring us back to today and I'm doing my best today and I'm living for today. And yes, we do have a plan of happiness and I believe in that plan. I'm glad you brought up that phrase. Um, and for some people that you know, that may be part of an eternal plan of happiness, the full happiness that they will experience uh, may be on mortality, given the realities of mortality and the woundedness of mortality. Um, there's lots of examples of just mortality forever being changed because of um, situations, tragic situations that come into our lives. Um, we push forward, we take it a day at a time, but, and I think I don't want to get sued. To, I worry sometimes we don't honor sadness in our plan of salvation because it's sort of like, well, we've got this beautiful sad, plan of salvation. Yeah. Why should we be sad? Or if someone's died, we shouldn't mourn for very long because we know we'll all be together again. And I, I think we can have deep sorrow and deep um, mourning um, that our culture needs to allow and have knowledge of the plan of salvation. So that's kind of a tangent. I don't know if you got any thoughts on that, Patrick. No, I think you're spot on in terms of uh, there. I think sometimes we can be, especially in, which I think is, it's a beautiful thing and it's amazing. And I, I know, uh, especially those who I think, um, I don't, I don't mean this to sound harsh at all, but I think also I lived outside of Utah for a couple of years. Um, most of my life I've lived in Utah. Um, and the Utah version of, um, of our faith, our church, um, is a little bit different than sometimes, um, the outside, um, just simply, and it's, it's no fault of anybody's or it's, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just the reality of when you have a lot of people with the same beliefs living in, you know, then it's obviously going to create a different culture dynamic. But, um, I bring that up because, um, when I was in Colorado, I remember some people would always just say, Patrick, you're so like positive. You're so like, you just have the shine about you. And you're just like, you're, you're just always so happy and that type of thing. And I think part of that is culture in terms of, um, Utah. We, we do trend, even though we have Utah, I think it's got one of the highest like depressions and like suicide rates and that type of thing. We're very good at putting on a smile. Um, and we're just a very positive people as as a church which is great i love our go-to you know honeybee put your shoulder to the wheel you know be happy attitude but i think sometimes we do that at the expense of sadness um and realizing that being sad can be very sacred um and it can be a very um 
yeah, it's a very sacred place to be in um, and it should be honored and it should be respected. And it's it's OK um, to to be sad. You don't need to, um, you know, just always be like, well, I can't be sad because my grandma passed away or my wife passed away or my best friend passed away because I need to just be happy because I know they're now with God and, and I'm going to see them again and all these things that, yes, we, we can believe and have that faith and that's good. Um, but it's okay just to be sad too, um, that you're going to miss them, <laughs> that they're not there anymore. Or, you know, uh, same thing with, you know, I think, I think that um, LGBT community and this can be hard for this community as well in the faith space because oftentimes so many could say well it will all work out in the end you know uh like you know you're you're not gonna you know you, yeah or or people that are just single right now in the church of well you'll have a companion in the future or the eternities will take care of that and that type of thing well that's well and good but the eternities is a ways off you know i mm-hmm. i still you know i'm i'm in my young you know early thirties. So I still got, you know, I don't know, 60 more, 60, 50 more good years on this earth. Well, that's a long time. Yeah. In eternity's perspective, it's just a, a snap. It's a blink of an eye, but for a earthly mortal like myself, that's, that's a long time to, to sit around. And, and, um, and so I think we sometimes need to recognize that um, and to honor people that feel like, ugh, like I'm just, I, I can't just put on a happy face and say it's all going to work out because I have to live in the reality of of what it is right now. And the reality of what it is right now doesn't sound too peachy keen, you know? And so I think we need to respect that and honor that and also allow people, again, that word of grace of if they're trying to find a way to be happy, um, um, that's ultimately what it comes down to. I don't think anybody wants to walk around this life being miserable. Um, uh, most people want to be happy. Um, we all have different answers and um, things that we think are going to make us happy. Um, and we need to give people grace to to learn and to find their own happy, if you will, um, because it doesn't look the same necessarily for everyone. Although we, you know, we say we have a plan of happiness. This is the exact formula you need to follow. And if you follow this formula, you're going to be happy. Well, that's not always true for everybody. And so give people grace to find their own happy. Uh, those are really good pastoral principles um, that I've tried to better understand. Um, I've been guilty of just pointing to the next life. Um, and it keeps me, listeners, emotionally safe. So you mentioned you're gay. Um, if I just say, and you kind of said this, you know, you know, this will all work out in the eternities, and I just kind of move on. It mm-hmm. keeps me emotionally safe. I have no responsibility to understand the complexities of Patrick's current road and think, what can I do as a Latter-day Saint to um, help him on his unique road versus our plan of salvation, just salvation. dismissing my responsibility to sort of understand the complexity of his situation. Uh, we want to keep our self emotionally safe and secure. And um, so, or if you've lost a loved one, sometimes we don't fully understand the complexity of that today. So yeah. I think part of, um, and you're really good at pastoral principles, Patrick. Ever since I did my first podcast, I've been learning from you is just this idea of sit with people in the complex. Even if you don't, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> um, 
but part of step one is just saying, maybe I don't have an answer for you. And, and feeling like I understand and I hear you and I sit with you in the pain without dismissing the pain, even if I don't understand it. Um, and obviously I don't, as I just mentioned my trip to Israel with my wife and you're maybe wondering, well, what, will I ever have that such an opportunity in my life to um, go visit the Holy Land with my spouse and fully participate in the church? So um, yeah. it's just really complex, as you know. Yeah. More thoughts no, I, on that? Yeah, I think you, like you said, it's so complex and we don't have the answers and that's okay. Um, and And I think sometimes the best thing we can do is just like you said, of recognizing I don't have the answers, but but I'll just sit with you because I don't have the answers. You don't have the answers. I'll let you, it's like, um, it's, um, it's interesting to me, um, that, and sometimes I think, um, people can almost be mad at God in some ways of, well, why didn't he reveal this? Or why doesn't he, you know, um, because it's hurting so many people or whatever that uh, thing that's hurting people of. And, and so it's like, why isn't that principle revealed yet? Um, and, you know, and then we can talk about, well, you know, he's just not ready yet, time and place, that type of thing, but it's very frustrating being in that place. And so I think that's where, when, where we don't have the answer, um, it's more than okay to say, I don't have that answer. Um, and then because we don't have that answer, then that's where we can just allow people grace um, and and let people, you know, if, if they're trying to find a path to happy, whatever that path looks like for them of feeling okay in their life, then how can we judge them um, for whatever their path they're taking or trying to figure out? Because what would what would be our answer to them? What 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 option are we giving them? You know, if you can legi- legitimately come to somebody and say, "Well, you know, if you did this, um, then I know you're going to be happy." Um, then I'm sure they'd be like, "Oh, great, I'll do it." But then let's say they do it and they're still not happy. Well, what do you say to them? Of well, just keep at it. Just just keep at it. Keep keep, keep struggling along. Keep doing it. And it's like you're not giving them anything. You're not. And so until you have something, a solution, a thing that is really going to work for them, that is the answer to their problem, then it's best probably, I'm not saying we can't give people advice and that type of thing, but I am saying that be cautious with the advice you give and how strongly you give it in terms of, especially people that are struggling with an issue that you might not know nothing about. You haven't walked in those shoes. So it's probably best you don't have too strong of an opinion about it because you don't understand it that well. And so rather than give your strong opinion, how about you just love them, um, be there for them, meet them where they're at. um, And, you know, just offer your support in that way, I think is going to do a lot more good than you trying to tell them to, to do something that you might, you don't really know the situation, you know, if that makes sense. It does. Um, and I also think if I say to somebody like Patrick, I love you. And um, this is me talking to, you know, us talking as Latter-day Saints to LGBTQ members who say we love you. Um, I think, if we really love somebody, we need to do what's possible in our circle of influence to improve their experience in the church, in our family, in our community. And 
everybody's circle of influence will be different. But I think that feels, I've been guilty of that, listeners. This is part of the reason I'm doing this podcast, just repent for all the things I've done. That's what I would now call a platitude. It's sort of, I love you, Patrick. I'm going to play golf, have a nice life. <laughs> Thinking of golf today because it's a Saturday. And, um, but I, I don't want to be hard on me or others, but I think we, we, we need to be careful when we say we love you. Um, if, if there's things we can do in, in our circle of influence to lift the burdens of others, then, you know, we should match that with our language or just do the best we can. Um, any thoughts on that? I think, you know, and you, you brought this up earlier as well in terms of our best exemplar, uh, exemplar of this is obviously Christ himself, who's, you know, who's, gospel we preach whose um shoes or feet path we try to walk um and so just look to look to him i mean i know and i i say that with the caveat that we can't obviously those are those are big shoes to to foot footsteps to walk in um and so um but you know obviously he if you just look at his ministry and i've been watching i watched um I've, I've, I've been watching a little bit more of the chosen with my parents, such cool. an amazing series. Um, and then also I just watched the movie, um, Jesus revolution, really powerful movie. Um, and the one thing I love about both those films are, and the, the series of the chosen is the way they depict the savior. They make him so relatable. Um, and they also make the gospel so simple in terms of, of just again loving people, of getting back down to the basics of of that, um, and just how Christ really did go about his ministry. He was kind of revolutionary, <laughs> um, if you think about it. I mean, the the, the Sadducees and Pharisees of his day were very strict law, letter of the law, that type of thing, and he was kind of just coming in and breaking that all down, just telling them, you know, why are you judging? Why are you doing just let's love people, you know, love one another. And it's very, um, very revolutionary. Um, and I think even in our day, it would be fascinating to me. Um, well, I mean, just imagine if Christ came today, um, he, his mortal ministry rather than 2000 years ago in ancient Jerusalem, was today. He came to modern day America and he was his ministry. He hadn't performed the atonement yet, let's say, and it was happening today. 2023 was when he came to earth in America and he was going to be completing the atonement um, for the world. And that was happening today. What would that look like? Do you think he would be accepted by us as a church? Do you think he would be accepted by any faith or would they, would he come in and start saying these messages of love and that type of thing? And the church would be, or, you know, us as members would be saying, wait a minute, what about the law? What about the commandments? What about this? What about that? And we would be rejecting the savior um, because we'd be like, that's revolutionary. What are you talking about? Um, and I think that just really, I've been thinking a lot about that lately of if Christ was to come today, how many people would recognize him as the savior or how many would think that he's some crazy revolutionary that is, you know, taking us astray or getting away from the true doctrine or I don't know. I just, it's interesting to think about. It is. Um, and I, I, I agree with that. Talk about 
um, publishing your book. So I'm shifting gears on you. Listeners, I get a lot of, since I've published a couple books, I get a lot of people rightly, and I'm glad they reach out and says, yeah, because they want to write a book. And I've published my books through Cedar Fort. And um, so if you're an LDS author, you might be thinking of Desert Book or Cedar Fort. Uh, my books are help, are carried at Desert Book, even though they're published by Cedar Fort. I didn't get involved in that. Cedar Fort um, handled that. Um, Cedar Fort has a process to um, for people can submit a book. It's on their website, Cedar Fort, at least a manuscript. Um, but one of the things, with the exception of Desert Book, is the publishers aren't going to market your book. The book. Um, and, the business has changed from the days that publishers had a big marketing budget. So they're going to rely on you to market your book. Now, Desert Book is is different. They have some marketing budgets and I don't know if they market every book that they publish, but some they do. And Steve Young's book, The Law of Love, was published by Desert Book. Um, and that's a book that they put some marketing behind, rightly so. But um, I, the longer I'm in this space, the more I'm encouraging people to go Patrick's route generally, um, because I've always felt the goal is to get it at Amazon so that people can um, get it through Amazon, um, either a hard copy, a written copy, or Audible. And um, that shortens the time to get it published, which I think is the goal. Yeah, some people go through Desert Book. I wouldn't want to discourage that if that's something you feel you could do. It's just a longer um, process. Um, it may be a terrific book, but they've already got a title in that space. And you may not learn that for a year or two. Um, mm-hmm. so it's just, it's just, you, you know, a, you won't, in my experience, you won't know if they're going to publish your book for quite a while. The manuscript needs to be pretty much done. So I'm not discouraging even going to desert book. It's just a harder process. So with that said, I'd love, cause since you self-published and, um, I think you briefly explored having some publishers. Share with our listeners just your journey. It might be helpful for others. Yeah, um, it, it was definitely interesting, eye-opening for me as well. Of like, um, of you know, I was kind of more so, I guess, was expecting, like you said, of what the publishing um, used to be like a little bit more in terms of like traditional publishers. You know, they you know you submit it. They're like, oh, great. I like it. And then they're kind of handle it and and kind of even do some of the marketing, that type of thing. But like I said, most even traditional publishers, unless you're a big name, um, obviously, and you already have like some um, either a big name in terms of other areas of your life, like a political figure or that type of thing, or um, then they're not even going to look at you for one thing, or, um, or if you have a really good manuscript, that's going to take a while for them to review it. If they even want to, then the whole process there. So it's definitely a, a, a long-term road, um, to hoe, um, to, to go that traditional route. I'm not saying that, like you said, discourage anybody of going down there if they feel strongly about it. Um, the self-publishing route also has, many um pitfalls as well i'd say um especially you can get down a rabbit hole and that's what i experienced as well of um they i think they call them like vanity presses if you will and that type of thing but there's lots of people that say oh great yeah we love your book we want to publish it but you need to pay us to publish it Interesting. and give us five thousand dollars and then we're going to help you do all this type of stuff and it's you're kind of thinking like wait why am i paying you 
to and and like and then they'll take some of your royalty that type of thing so i definitely um encourage people to be educated um don't get any type of scams or anything like that or somebody that might be trying to take advantage of you um i think there's great options with like amazon you know amazon's got their own kind of self-publishing route i eventually kind of went with i found uh it's, it's called hulu but they kind of handled a lot of the publishing for me i luckily for me i have great resources in my family in terms of my mom's my brother as well they're graphic designers my mom's done a lot of like editing for people especially like on dissertations for universities and that type of thing so she's she's great at editing so i had a lot of resources to help me um on that end um, of um and so but you can also get people that will help you with that for and not you won't have to pay like a ton and then once you have a, a good book you know, you have your design done, that type of thing. Um, then, yeah, I think you can just go like a Hulu route or Amazon. You can just self-publish yourself, especially if you feel strongly that you can do a lot of things around, you know, getting the word out. Because um, uh, a lot of traditional publishers are even just going to rely on you anyways to do that. So you're going to need to, you know, tell all your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn and wherever that, you know, I have this new book. And so just really kind of become your own advertiser, if you will. Um, and so, um, and ultimately if you go that self-published route, um, going to be a lot quicker, like you said, um, get it out a lot sooner. And so it really, I guess, just depends on what your objectives are also with publishing. Um, it's kind of also kind of determines what route is probably best for you. Um, Talk about what Hulu did that you couldn't do. Yeah. One thing that I liked about Hulu um, and why I decided to go with them is I liked how they were going to handle really the distribution portion of it for me. So I didn't have to think too much about that in terms of I could have gone to like all the different places and kind of distribute it myself in terms of I could have gone to Barnes and Noble individually and then I go to Amazon individually and I could have gone to the Ingram which is kind of they do all like the um you know smaller bookshops and that type of thing there Ingram's like got a huge distribution area so you could go to each one of them individually but Hulu if I submitted it with them then oh sorry I keep saying Hulu it's Lulu sorry Lulu. Um, um, but, um, if I, if I went with, um, them, then, um, then they kind of, I just had to submit it to them and then they distributed it to all those other ones. And then also the nice thing about that is then I can log into the Lulu, um, and I can see from one place, kind of how sales are going here or that type of thing. You can kind of just like manage it from one place um, rather than, again, if I just did it all on my own, then um, I have to go to each one of those and kind of manage them separately. And then um, all the payments get collected to through Lulu. So it became like one place where I could manage everything um, and still reach as many places as, as possible is kind of what my goal was. And your book's you know, is great for an LDS audience, but it's broader too. So maybe that's part of the reason it makes yeah. sense to um, pair up with Lulu because you're getting into a lot of places that um, you want to get to. Yeah, that was part of my thinking and, and reasoning as well. Of, of like I said, I, I wanted to. My objective 
um, was just to reach as many people as I possibly could. And so I wanted to, I just kind of, as I was thinking about that, I wanted to reach as many people as I could. That's really was the filter and lens that I was really looking at any publisher or publishing source, self-publishing um, things through is which one is going to let me re- reach as many people as possible. Um, and so that's where I kind of eventually doing my research. Again, I kind of stumbled upon Lulu and I really liked um, where I could just submit it through them and then they were going to be, you know, distributing it to Ingram, to Barnes & Noble, to Kindle, to Amazon, to, um, you know, uh, and so they really kind of just did all the ones I could think of, of where I would do it myself if I was to just hit all of those of where I could think of people could go to purchase a book. Uh, I, you know, listeners, um, I'm not, you know, I'm going to put my story in here a little bit. I'm not considering myself a writer. I struggled in um, my English classes, my writing classes. I'm much more tuned to the math and the business skills. So I'm surprised I've written a couple books. Um, we're going to release a podcast in January and uh, July with. Uh, my editor, one of my editors, Marcy McPhee, who um, was the lead editor on Steve Young's book, The Law of Love. And just a quick backstory, we'll share that in the podcast, but Steve would call and just talk to me about these ideas in his head. And and multiple people, as he'd heard these ideas, would say, Steve, you need to write a book. And I said the same thing. And then after listening to Steve with incredible ideas, I thought, Steve's never going to write a word. Um, and so we started, we got Marcy involved, who's a terrific editor, and Steve could afford an editor like that. Um, and she just, we just had long Zoom meetings where Steve would just talk and share all these stories. And then she would take all the content and put it into a book and Steve would read and edit. Um, it was terrific that way. So I'm different than Patrick. Patrick's different than Steve. So if you're looking to write a book, don't call yourself, I'm not a writer. You may need to, one of the things Patrick's hope you picked up is he surrounded himself with people at expertise he didn't, but the story was in his head. Yeah, he had the ability to write it down. He had 300 pages of written stuff. So there's some writing skill in there. Um, But a lot of you listeners may have really remarkable things in your head that need to be told, but you may not be able to write them down. (laughs) So there's kind of a spectrum there between Steve Young um, and somebody that can write their own book, um, and would even could edit it. And I somewhere in the middle there, but so all those stories I hope are helpful for you. Any thoughts on that, Patrick? Yeah, no, I think you're spot on in in terms of don't sell yourself short in terms of just because you're, if you have a story to share on my opinion is everybody's got a, a great story to share, um, of, um, is, you know, but you aren't a great writer, or maybe you are a great writer, but you don't, you know, you're not good on the the publishing or, or, or you're great at writing, but you don't know how to like structure it all in terms of a, a comprehensive book, that type of thing. Um, like you said, there's people that have that experience, not only in terms of think about your 
sphere of influence, not only you don't necessarily have to reach out to like a professional and pay them even of what friends do you have as well that um, that you can rely on and pick their brain or, you know, I'm sure there's everybody's got somebody in their life that's and I think that's what's so amazing about about the world and and about um strong teams of you know just in my professional life i'm i'm very a strong advocate for like um the strongest team is when you have um people with different perspectives different um skill sets because that's what creates a well-rounded team you know where i fall short they're strong where they fall short i'm strong um and together you know we're collectively stronger together than we would be individually alone and so it's just thinking through and trying to understand where people's strengths are and then play to your strengths and then find those who may be strong in the areas where you aren't um, and pull them in and get them involved and sign them up to, to, um, you know, help you in this kind of publishing journey, if you will, if you really feel like you have a story you want to share. That's terrific. Um, Just great advice. And I want to give a personal shout out to Cedar Fort, who's published my first two books. And we have a third one coming out in the fall. They have been terrific to work with, but I realize, you know, they don't have the ability to publish every book that is submitted to them. And and so they have a limited number of resources, a limited number of books they can produce and publish in a given time frame. And the self-publishing route doesn't have that constriction. So um, I, I generally think more people will go the self-publishing route and hook up with people like Lulu and and follow the model that you've had. It's, you know, it doesn't need to cost a lot. Um, and it's a big deal to write a book. I can see it on the on the bookcase behind you. It's got terrific artwork. One day at a time, it's got a landscape scene with the sun either setting or rising. Um, so the artwork is incredibly um, well done. I haven't read the book, but... I'm sure it's really well done. And what I've read on Amazon is it's getting a lot of reviews. Now, listeners, I want to come back to another really sensitive subject at the conclusion of this podcast. And I always feel, oh, I hate to put Patrick on the spot for this, but it's part of my own journey. If I had heard Patrick, you know, 10 years ago, if I had heard Patrick was a survivor of sexual abuse and gay, I would have said, well, Patrick, you're gay because you were... a victim of sexual abuse, and that would have dismissed. This is back to my old world. Was something went wrong, and God meant everybody to be straight. And if I could just find the backstory and everybody's backstory, I'd realize um, why everybody what went wrong. <laughs> and then I have no responsibility here because it's just something went wrong. But if God actually creates people this way, so you've kind of walked me through this a couple podcasts ago, and. Um, I put this in my first book about, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't, that are queer. I'm using that term today a little bit more that are not um, survivors of sexual abuse. So is it okay? I just hate to have you re-educate our audience on that over and over again. But there may be some listeners listening for the first time who have made that assumption, just like I would have, because you mentioned both of those facts of your life. Mm -hmm. So are you okay to just address that? Yeah, no, I think it's super important. Um, like you said, and I, I used to be, it's funny, um, you know, sometimes like you know, Facebook brings up those like Facebook memories or that type of thing. And I've been, you know, on Facebook probably since like 2000, 
I actually, I resisted joining for a long time. And so I think I've, I finally joined, like, I don't know, like 2009 or 2010 or something. But ever since then, I've, you know, kind of grown in my voice and kind of what I've wanted to share. You know, I used to be even more political. I I, I love politics. Um, I, you know, ran for like uh, That's city right. council. Like, I, I, do, I do like politics, but um, I used to be a lot more political on my Facebook, but it, pol- politics is so divisive. Um, and again, I wanted my voice to be used for the message of, of loving others and that type of thing. So now I've shied away from that. Not saying that I still don't have opinions and passionate and that type of thing, but I rather just focus on, you know, the things that bring us together, that type of thing. But I, I just bring that up in terms of because I used to be a lot stronger on Facebook as well. I remember during like Proposition 8 um, and in California and that type of thing, I was I was much more in the camp of, of I had said some pretty harsh things towards um, the um, LGBTQ community. And, and just, you know, um, I was definitely much, you know, at that time, I, w- I didn't come to terms with my sexuality, that type of thing. And so it's interesting to hear my voice then and, and where I'm at now. And some people might say, oh, you know, you've, you've given in or you, you, you're as, you know, you should be stronger and you know, that type of thing. But I think the key um, with, and so I, I bring that up in this context because I used to tie my sexuality a lot more to my abuse. I used to exactly what you're saying. I used to say, well, the reason why I'm, I was confused or, I mean, it makes sense. You take a six-year-old boy and not only should a six-year-old not have any sexual experiences, but you take a six-year-old boy and for the next six years, all of his sexual experiences are going to be with a, a man 10 years older than him. That's going to confuse him. I'm going to create a lot of confusion. Um, and so, you know, logical makes sense. I tied everything back to that. Um, and so, you know, it was like, if I could fix that, if I could figure out, you know, what is there even to fix? But if I could figure out my abuse and that and handle that and deal with that, then all of a sudden everything else would work out. And now I'd be attracted to women and my life would just start working out like the traditional path that and that type of thing. And eventually I had to come to terms. That's what you brought up in terms of my my epiphany, if you will, of stop asking what if and just start living what now. I couldn't go back and change what happened to me. Do I know if that's what made me um, attracted to men? Was I attracted to men before that? I don't know. I don't remember when I was six years old and before that. I have no idea. I can't change that. I can only know what I experience, what I do with it now. Um, and I think there's some people that make the argument that they just have always known they've been gay. Um, they think, you know, have some people, the argument of born gay or it's like the nurture versus nature, that type of thing. Um, and ultimately, my opinion is what does it matter one way or another you are what you are right now um and your feelings and the way you are attracted is valid um and you can't go back and change any past um and so what do you want to do with it now um and and so i think people that want to make that argument one way or another is it's if i just don't see where it produces any fruit necessarily because it doesn't necessarily change your reality it doesn't change anything and so let's just figure out what we want to move forward with now um and so 
Yeah. So I think it's hard um, because I get where people want to try to answer that question, but I I just don't see where it it really necessarily matters. I do think it's important. And I, I can, again, I I understand um, where some people, again, think there's some people that have the opinion that, well, just be faithful, just, you know, stay celibate, stay single, just be faithful. And in the next life, you're going to be fixed, um, whatever fixed means. Um, and all of a sudden, you're now going to be attracted to women and you're going to get an eternal companion in the attorneys. Okay, maybe. May, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have that answer. Um, but I think it's very, for somebody that is gay, um saying that they're going to be fixed that's that's a harsh message for one thing and then also giving them that hope that you know i, I just i don't i don't know if that's the right messaging that we should be giving people either above that just they're going to be fixed or there's going to be something that's going to work out in the eternities that it's, i mean i do think things are going to work out but what we what that looks like i i don't know and i think it's it's hard it's hard message to swallow for some, especially in the LGBTQ community, to think that also I'm going to now be attracted to a woman um, in the future. Where it's what happens if you what happens if somebody fell in love with somebody, um, and I'm saying to them, well, it's great you love that person, but in the eternities, you're not going to love them anymore. You're going to love somebody else because you're going to be fixed. And the love you have right now, it's broken. That's not, that's not real. And I just, that's a harsh message. Um, and I, I don't know what the answer is, but that's going back to our point of, if you don't have the answer then, then I think you should always fall on the site of just loving them, sitting with them, letting them live their truth and you can live yours and they can coexist together. Um, we can all love and, and coexist together. Um, even though we might not know all the answers and we might not 100% agree and that's okay. That was a terrific segment. Just a terrific segment. Um, I hesitate to add anything cause, uh, just detract from what you just said, but I, I think it's good to let LGBTQ people share feelings about what their hopes are for the next life. There's a lot of space that we don't understand the next life. So let's allow LGBTQ people to share their hopes about the next life and and this idea of being fixed or not fixed. There's a range of feelings for LGBTQ people about the next life. So, um, but I think it's I, just inviting straight people to not sort of project our feelings about the next life fixing would be a a word that I would not use now (laughs) um, to your point, because I realize I, I just become more educated and I want to do the right thing, but I have to listen to LGBTQ people to develop the right language. Nothing you said changes our doctrine, Patrick. (laughs) It's not like you sold out our doctrine um, to just talk about. um, So it's just really a tender space and there's so many stories in this space and there's stories that change my worldview all the time listeners. So I don't, I'm trying not to just have a worldview and making Patrick's story fit my worldview. Um, there may be some people that are um, survivors of sexual assault, uh, men from a man, young man from a man like your situation who generally believe they're straight. Um, and I think Patrick would be fine hearing that because he's not trying to make his story everybody's story, but 
Patrick has come to a different feelings about that. He's not, comp- I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, um, but I have to think where you are is just a remarkable place because you're saying, not what if, what now? And what a mantra for all of us. And all this, the title of your book, One Day Time, One Day Time, <laughs> One Day at a Time. Um, and just everything you've shared in this podcast is about just taking the realities of our life. And if we don't, and if we're not walking a complicated road, acknowledging the realities of other people's lives, um, not pointing to the next life there, everything will be okay, just so we can be emotionally safe. But having to sit with people and understand their story, even if their stories are different, and even if someone's story changes a little bit over time, as they have better ideas and personal revelation about their unique identity and the best way to mark walk that road. Um, I'm just going to share this favorite quote that I probably shared every time you've been on the podcast because you may be one of the best examples. Of this it's by Henry Norwin. It's called the Wounded Healer. You may be the one of the best examples. Of this I know on the planet. Um, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounding by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of the desert by someone who's never been there. So that's you, Patrick. Um, these are deserts you didn't choose. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Sometimes we get in tough deserts because of our own choices. That's not your story. But then you become the wounded healer. But step one was sort of acknowledging. Um, the reality of your life, and sort of step two was with God, um, having the courage to talk about it in the way that worked for you. And then you can heal and help people because they're aware they're not alone. You've referenced that phrase over and over again. And I just can't imagine the number of DMs, emails, texts you've gotten since you've been honest about your own desert. And the fact that it's not theoretical for you, this whole woundedness and the need for the atonement, not to take away sin in this case, but just to heal and therapy. Um, And the work you're doing with your book, with your voice, with your Facebook groups, um, there's just thousands of thousands of people that are better off because of you. Now, I wouldn't want to say that's why God brought this into your life. I don't know why this came into your life. I don't want to manufacture a backstory about my feelings about That's for you to decide how this all came into your life and the why behind it, if you can, or maybe you don't. You just move forward, like you said. So I want you to have the last word on anything else you want to share. And listeners, in the links, I'll link to Patrick's book at Amazon. I'll link to the two Facebook groups he mentioned, Brightness of Hope and Worldwide Unified. And you can Google Lulu, not Hulu. That's Lulu. We all agree we're talking about Lulu. (laughs) And I'll leave it. You can share whatever you want to share in closing, Patrick. No, thank you so much, Richard. Just every time I, I get to be in this space with you, it just feels sacred. Um, and and you facilitate just that that sacred, welcoming environment, just where love exudes. Um, and I appreciate it. And I think um, yeah, I, I just I'm I'm very strong in my messaging of like you said of you're not alone. Um, you know, one day at a time. Um, not what if, but what now. Those things have become you know my mantras, my theme in life, and and you know, like you said, of becoming a 
a wounded warrior, if you will, a, a, a wounded healer. Um, and it's because I don't, I, I, I recognize every, again, uh, every good thing that I do. Um, I, I recognize, um, obviously the savior's hand in it because he really is every good thing. Um, and I just know him and the way I know him is that he is just love and personified. Uh, he just, everything he is, he's love. Um, and if you don't feel loved, if you don't feel like you belong, if you don't feel like, um, then that's not coming from the savior. Um, and so, um, just get to the place where you feel that love, whatever that looks like for you, whatever that, um, peace that we talked about, uh, just all those good feelings. Um, that's, that's when, you know, you're closer to the savior. Um, and that's where we all need to strive to be because that's what he is. He's just love and he just wants us to be happy and he just wants us to, to feel him near. And he just, um, he's just everything to, he's everything to me. And I know that we're everything to him. Um, and so, um, I think that's just, yeah, that's my testimony for sure. Thank you. Um, this is Richard Osler and Patrick Riss signing off another episode of Listen, Learn and Love.